Hello everyone and welcome to Minute 60 of Season 3 of Move Around Minutes, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob and today I'm finishing off my remote uh, journey in uh, Baltimore, but uh, you know my, my host and slash guest has been very gracious the entire week. He's treated me really well. Uh, hopefully he feels that, that I've been a good Ho- uh, guest slash host, uh, so we'll, we'll see if he invites me back in the future. That we'll have to see. But well, you know, today, today's the last day. But so, so once again, thank you to uh, Nick Rehack from uh, formerly of French Toast Sunday for uh, for letting me stay here all week. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm bummed that this is the last one uh, for this particular movie. But I look forward to ones in the future. Yeah, but sure. you get a birthday on Sunday, so you're you're good. That is true. You that know, that is very much true. You know, I leave, but you still get a birthday. It's so there true. You go. I get to just eat all weekend, have a lot of cake. A lot of cake. More there cake than I should. Okay. But, you know, it's your birthday. That's true. Why not? I can cry if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, minute 60 begins with McLean making a smart alecky mark and ends with John uh, looking behind himself. So, basically, we ended things yesterday with uh, Hans getting frustrated that someone is actually using the walkie-talkie, and then we find out that the person who's using the walkie-talkie is actually McLean, who at first apologizes in a very uh, insincere way, and basically says, Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Maybe you should have put it on the bulletin board. <laughs> I figured, since I waxed Tony and Marco and his friend here, I figured you and Carl and Franco... Might be a little lonely, so I want to give you a call. <laughs> so I love the way that he's, you know, giving them all of his information. He's not holding any cards no. to himself. He's like, all right, there's this, there's that, the other thing. You know, this this is what's going on. I know who you are. I know the names. But I think at the same point, uh, Hans realizes what he's doing. You know, that of of the information that he's he's giving him all of the information. Yeah. You know, I love I love how he calls Heinrich and his friend here. You know, he doesn't know who it is. <laughs> his little buddy that came along with him. I think it's just a it's a confidence thing, and it's almost arrogance because he wants them to know, like, hey, I'm ruining this for you. Like, I'm I'm doing better than you. You are going to lose, right? But but I love the fact also that that you know you can see that he hasn't lost his sense of humor. That's true. You know, no matter everything that 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 John has gone through. You know, he still his sense of humor has has remained intact. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about uh, you know he, he's talking about everybody. He's talking about a bulletin board. So, what what, what do you know about bulletin boards? Um, I have one at work. Well, we have a lot of whiteboards at work. Right. Um, I we have a couple of the cork boards where you post up things like that. I have a particular bulletin board that I call my learning board. I put out fun facts, not fun facts, but on this day in history, which are, uh, which, which one I saw movies. just a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's great. It's pretty nice, right? Yeah. Every you do morning, that every day? Every day I'm at work, I put one up. So you spend like an hour of your of them paying you for work to write up everything that goes on that day? Roughly 30 minutes, <laughs> but I'm also salaried. So, you know, depending on how long my day is, sometimes it's like I'm getting paid for it. Sometimes it's like I'm not. Ah, okay. In it for the love of the game. Hey, why not? Yeah. That's, uh... Outside of that, outside of them just being used for displaying information and letting people learn stuff, uh, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> All right, so a bulletin board is also known as a pin board 
or okay. a notice board, right? And it's a surface intended for posting public messages. For example, to advertise items wanted, wanted or for sale, announcing events, provide information. Bulletin boards are often made of materials such as cork to facilitate additional and re, uh, addition and removal of messages, as well as a writing surface such as a blackboard or a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. A bulletin board which combines a pin board and writing surface is known as a combination bulletin board. Makes sense. Bulletin boards can also be entirely in the digital domain and placed on computer networks so people can leave and erase messages for other people to read and see, as in the bulletin board system. You know, I, I remember the, 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 you know, back in the, the old days of computers, you know, you would post things on the bulletin board, you know, which was a place that you can go and see. Almost like a message board. It's a message board, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're used uh, quite often in universities. They're used by sports groups and extracurricular groups. And a lot of times you'd have them in shops that want to, you know, soup of the day and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think nowadays it's more prevalent to be using whiteboards for those type of things. It makes sure. things a little bit easier. But Less uh, chalk you know. dust on your allergies and health. And right. Well, no, they, they usually would, would put stuff oh, with the push pins, yeah. yeah. No, but that, I'm assuming they also had chalkboards with that type of stuff, too. Okay. So, uh, when do you think the first modern uh, blackboard oh. was created? I'm going to go... So, here we are back, back to talking about chalk. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the same type of idea, you know. I want to dip into the BCs, but I think I'm going to go a little bit before that. I'm going to say, like, 300. No, I'm talking about modern, modern, modern. Modern, modern? Yeah, go to modern. Okay. Uh, let's go 19, 1901. Wow. It's 1801. But that's... You got the old <laughs> one right. You got the old one right. Even though it was 100 years earlier. You got the old one. That, that's, I'll, t- I'll take it. I'll yeah, take there it. There you go. Get a half point. So a, uh, <laughs> a, a headmaster and teacher named James Pillins, who was teaching in, uh, in high school in Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh, okay. He's credited with inventing the first modern blackboard. Okay. In 1925, a man named George Brooks of Topeka, Kansas, was issued the patent for the use of a cork board as a bulletin board, where you could stick text into it. Huh. Okay. The patent for his invention, which would become a mainstay in homes and offices around the world, expired in 1941, and therefore allowed anyone to create and market their own versions of the product. Sixteen years feels like a weird number for something to, for like a patent. Doesn't it? Uh, what do you think, like a, like yeah, a 5, I, a 10, think, a 15, 25, 20, something like that? No, but maybe it was 15, and therefore the 16th And then year, in 41, okay. Maybe, maybe that's what they meant Yep, by, by this. Okay. In 1940, a man named George Fox received the patent for a foam rubber, foam rubber pinboard that had cardboard backing. Hmm. In 1959, a man named W.F. Lewis issued a patent for a combined chalkboard and bulletin board. All right, which is one of the things we talked about before. In 1976, right. the the concept of a bulletin board entered the information age when software developers Ward Christensen and Randy uh, Seuss <laughs> launched the first public dial-up bulletin board system. In 2006, they started creating high-resolution digital bulletin boards. Okay, in 2010, they had digital signage displays that were started and they replaced bulletin boards as a means to reduce clutter and provide real-time information. And then uh, 2010 you got P-Interest was created which is more or less a, uh, or Pinterest 
How do, how do you pronounce that? Pinterest. Pinterest. There you yeah. go. So it's a content and photo sharing website meant to serve as an online personal bulletin board. Oh, yeah. I haven't used that in forever. Yeah. And then in 2017, General Enchantment was issued a utility patent <laughs> for a physical electronic bulletin board system that includes a physical writing or pinning surface and an electronic display. So it's it's like a tablet computer that's capable of running digital signage software that augments the sharing of analog information with digital content. That's actually really cool. It's, a, it's cyclical. It's like we're going back to the beginning. Yeah. But digitally. Yes. That's really cool. I like when they first started introducing digital billboards on the highway because all of a sudden like it could just change. Right. And I'm like, oh, cool. Because I remember it used to be like almost like a turn. Right, like if it say it was all squares yeah, or would, whatever, and it yeah, would just yeah, they shift. would have the it would, it would look like a a um, like a stock ticker where it's like tick, 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 tick. no, like even, a, right? You had the stock ticker, but you also had the ones that looked like um, blinds. Yes, yes, where they had like three sides to it or something, and they would they would switch. They would I think just they shift used around. It, I think they used that often in like uh, in in baseball fields and stuff like that, where mm, they would shift mm-hmm, around mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I mean, for me, what's really interesting is uh, how does the advertising work that way? Because like back when you used to pay for the billboard, you'd probably pay for like the whole month. Here, you're sharing it with with two other people or or ten other people. You know, you're you know, I guess it has to say in the contract how how many seconds it needs to be, you know, displayed for before it switches. And you got to think too, because if you ever look at magazines and their ads, some companies are like, I don't want to be within ten pages of an ad for cigarettes, right. or for drinking, or for other stuff like that. So there's probably a lot, and I'm sure they're guaranteed. Like, hey, every week you're going to be guaranteed like. If it's three seconds per, 30,000 seconds worth of, you know, whatever. One thing that does bother me, there's a, when I head to work every day, I pass the Baltimore School for the Blind. One of their billboards has a pixel out on it. So the message will be crystal clear, but there's this one green little speck. And it bothers me so much. You think it's done on purpose because it's for the blind? To, no, to, to, but I think about that, though. Okay. Like, I really think about that. But I just think it's it's just a board that they need to replace that pixel. Oh well, okay. Could be. So you should complain. Yeah, but they got other more important <laughs> things going on. I think than hey, we got to swap out a billboard. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no, actually, you should call the, the the Institute of the Blind and tell them that there's a problem. But if it is, if that did, if that billboard switches, is the pixel on the other the other ones also off, or is it only when it shows that? Interesting. No, it's off all the time. It's just that green little speck, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, so it should there. be in all of them. Yeah, just like uh, you know, it's like a light bulb that went out. That you know, like you, exactly. You got, like, you got a thousand light bulbs, and one of them went out. Yeah, and that's it. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, seriously. And at this point, after John uh, shows his hand with everything, uh, who's around, who he knows, and stuff like that. So Carl then interrupts. Thankfully. You know, Hans is not pushing on the button anymore, and he goes, "How does he know so much about?" And then uh, Carl lifts up his hand and mm-hmm. like stops him from talking. You know, uh, and as he's talking, so we get to see John, uh, you know, taking uh, Heinrich's bag and opening it and start looking at stuff and whatever. And then Hans responds, "That's very kind of you. I assume you are a mysterious party crasher." You are most you are most troublesome for a security guard. So, uh, what do, what do you know about the term party crasher? Um, 
just anybody that shows up uninvited to a party or a gathering, a social event. You know any other terms that are used for it? Mm. There's one other term that's very prevalent that, that's used here. The only other thing I, I can think of is party pooper, but that's someone that just no. ruins the no, social no, no, no. gathering. It's a stuff. gate crasher. Gate crasher. Why didn't I? Right. It's the act of entering, attending, or participating in an event without an invitation or a ticket. The person doing the gate crashing is known as a gate crasher or mm-hmm. a party crasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of times, the motivation to do this is you want to avoid the entry fee, you want to gain access to free food, uh, beverages, often alcoholic, party favors. Gaining access to a private event, taking photos or videos of certain celebrities like paparazzi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, having photos uh, or video taken with celebrities. You know, if you're there, you want to. Ooh, there's a uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Take a picture with him. You know, yeah. everything. Or some people just do it for the the, the thrill seeking, the adrenaline, the adrenaline. Yeah, but sometimes people do it for for nefarious reasons. There are crimes that people commit by by being party crashers or gate crashers. Uh, obviously, we're we're not condoning any of these crimes. Mm-mm. Don't don't do any of them. Uh, could be for theft or looting. Could be for rape, fraud, murder, stalking, kidnapping, or just uh, causing general disruption in order to uh, gain some sort of uh, attendance. Uh, usually, when people do this, they try to blend in with the crowd. So John didn't really blend in with the no. the terrorists here. Doesn't 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 really work that way. None of them are wearing tank tops. Uh, you mean uh, he's not wearing a tank top? He's wearing a uh, a white t shirt. <laughs> he is an undershirt. He's wearing an A shirt. Well, it's that's now a, black. That's like a tank top. It's now black because he he's gone through the you know the the vent system. That is true. But and and it, it, I got to say they colored it really well because it's 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 perfectly colored all around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not. It doesn't have splotches. You no. think that it should have splotches? That's no, designer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, there was a book written in 1988 by a woman named Charlotte Laws, which is a how-to uh, book on gate crashing, which is called Meet the Stars. <laughs> so it details how she was able to crash dozens of celebrity events, major war shows, and even got past secret security to interview the president. I'm sure that went really well. She was even able to, to interview Elvis which was uh, uh, reprinted as it entitled Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. <laughs> and her memoirs, which are uncovered, uh, un- Undercover Debutante and mm. Rebel in High Heels, uh, explain some of her gate-crashing escapades. So there's also the idea of uh, wedding crashing. Right. That's the whole movie. That's right. You know, the, the act of attending a wedding celebration without an invitation, particularly when the person or persons who turn up uh, have a profound impact. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there, there are differently reasons why people would would crash weddings too. Any any ideas why people would do so? Free food, free drink. Oh, it's got to be free drink and then free food. Maybe even if it's nefarious, stealing gifts or money that happened to be on a table, or yeah. again the thrill. Okay, great. So first is a, a lot of times a person they, they want to see someone that they know, whether it's maybe it's their ex getting married. Mm. Or want to see a relative or friend, even if they're, they weren't invited, and they still want to show up there. Right. They sometimes will uh, come with someone who was invited, you know, and, but but they themselves were... They didn't get a plus one. They didn't yeah. get a plus one or whatever it is, right? Um, sometimes they want something that's offered there, like you said, free food, free, free booze. Um, it's not always cost-effective to do that. 
because uh, you know if you're going to a wedding you have to dress up so then you have to actually pay for uh, you know for formal wedding uh, attire yeah in order Suits to, and to shoes to, and yeah yeah I mean, in the Wedding Crashers, they had it already. That's because true. Because it was something they were doing on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a, a one-off, I guess you can say. You know, um, Sometimes they want to steal uh, money or gifts from the, from the bride and groom. There's the thrill. Uh, sometimes they want to try and win back the, the bride or groom, who was a former lover. Oh. Or a current romantic interest of, of the Crasher. The old-fashioned uh, I object. Exactly. Like in uh, The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Wayne's World 2. I love Wayne's World too. Okay, uh, sometimes you do it uh, just to, to get revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, you want to show the person up, the, the bride or groom. And uh, at celebrity weddings, there is much crashing that occurs from those who wish to mingle with the celebrities or catch paparazzi paparazzi photo shoots. Uh, there have been reports of celebrities crashing the wedding of strangers they encounter. That's really funny. I, I like stuff like that where they're just like walking through a hotel. They're like, oh, there's a wedding. They just pop in, take a picture with the bride and groom, and then yeah. off they walk. That's like a, a happy accident. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, sometimes uh, people crash weddings by, by accident, meaning that they were, you know, you're, you're at a venue where there's multiple weddings and mm-hmm. you just go to the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and Oops. it's not as if you're going to say, well, this one's got better food than the other one because the odds are they're going to have the same menu. Or the same very basic similar. menu, yeah, very similar. Yeah, and so so basically, uh, Hans calls him a uh, security guard, right? So, uh, when, when do you think the idea of a security guard, uh, you know, started? How far back do you think that goes? This one, I'm going to go back into the BCs, back when you had. You know, these emperors, and they had people watching the doors, or they had, like, borderline, like, what we would call now, like, secret security, secret security, uh, secret service stuff for, like, presidents and things, but these are people that are, like, watching the doors, literally standing guard, traditionally guards, and then eventually, like, a security guard kind of thing. So I'm going to say in the BCs, like, 100 BC. Okay, so this basically says that they don't have an exact date, but it goes back many, many centuries. Yeah, yeah. Based on exactly what you said. You know, sometimes a security guard can be known as a security inspector, security officer, protective agent. Okay, and the idea that sometimes they're referred to as watchmen. Up in a watchtower. Maybe you a know. sentry? Would they be known it could as be. a sentry? Could be. Right, I mean, back in the Middle Ages, they, they had those where there was there was no real form of law enforcement, mm-hmm. but they still had someone who was in charge of, uh, you know, guarding the gate of the castle and stuff like that, making sure that... Uh, you know, no one, no treasure gate crashers, rooms. no gate crashers, <laughs> nobody stealing treasures. That's right. Um, and so, the 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 most uh, the most noteworthy person who was a security guard is a man named Frank Wills. Have you ever heard that name? No, but I, I bet as you talk about it, it's going to. Is he the one? No. T- yeah, tell me. He was in 1972. Does that help a little bit? 72. Security guard in 72. No, because King and Kennedy were in the 60s. Both no. Kennedys were in the 60s. No, it was in Washington, D.C. Reagan wasn't until the 80s. That's right. Reagan was 81. That's the one I can think of was Reagan when the hell the... No, but I'm not talking about... No, I'm talking about security guard. I'm not talking about uh, someone 
you know, dealing with Secret Service or saving the president. Or oh, like oh, oh, okay. Then no. Just a famous security guard. No. So Frank Wills was the security guard in the Watergate office complex in Washington, uh, D.C. Okay. And he's the one who actually noticed the tape covering the latch on the entrance to one of the buildings, thereby preventing it from, from locking. And once he called the police, that's when they found that, you know, you had the five men who uh, entered the the Democratic National Committee headquarters in order to steal information yeah, for, all for Nixon. Stuff. Okay. Then we also have uh, another security guard named uh, Christoph uh, Mieli, who was a night guard at, the, at a Swiss bank, who became a whistleblower in 1997 when he told about uh, the bank destroying records related to funds that were part of that were uh, connected to Holocaust victims, whose money the bank was supposed to return to the victims' heirs, and instead decided to uh, destroy all the records. That is appalling. Yes. Ugh. Yes. Now, a uh, former child actor named Gary Coleman mm-hmm. was was also he he worked as a armed security officer. <laughs> yeah, and he was allowed to use uh, both a gun and a baton mm-hmm. in L.A. and while shopping for a bullet-resistant vest for his job, he assaulted a female autograph collector. Coleman said he felt threatened by her insistence and punched her in the head. <laughs> ah, I feel like I've heard about that one before. Okay, and then the, the the final one that I want to mention is Richard Jewell. Have you ever heard that name? Uh, the 96 Olympics in Georgia. That's right. That's right. He's he's the guy who uh, they just did that movie about. Him. Yes, yeah. Clint Eastwood did it. Yeah, it, yeah. it was called uh, Jewel, wasn't it? I think it was. Or maybe it was called Richard Jewel. I think it, maybe it was. Uh, yeah, I think I think it was both. I think it was both of his names. He he's the guy who was uh, accused of being the bomber, even though he actually tried to. He he noticed. He found all the information and eventually was was acquitted. It was just called Richard. Right, Jewel, it was called yeah. Richard Jewel. Okay, that's what I thought. So, yeah, he actually saved hundreds of lives with what he did. And, you know, the movie shows shows it really well how, you know, people thought that... People really, uh, you know, uh, dragged his name through through the mud. Yeah, which is just terrible. And yeah. I think they just wanted, like, a, an easy out. They didn't want to think about, you know, in foreign entities or terrorists or stuff like that. Like, right. they just wanted it to be just wrapped up with a bow. Right. That's Absolutely. a bummer. <laughs> and... So Hans is basically trying to fish for information here from from John, and and John knows it, and he decides he's going to play along a little bit. So you know when he goes, "You're most troublesome for a security guard," and he goes, "Ah, sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Would you like to go for a double jeopardy where the scores can really change?" And I love and, the confused look he gives. Yeah, like what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like what? <laughs> I'm not really sure what, what what's going on here. Yeah, that too. Like, who are you? You know, I, I I thought I was talking to some security guard or something. Who knows? So the the sound of a buzzer, okay, mm-hmm. is <laughs> is an audio signaling device which may be mechanical, electromechanical, or uh, piezoelectric. Okay, which are used for alarm devices, timers, uh, trains, and the confirmation of a user input such as a mouse click mm-hmm. or a keystroke and things like that. So the electric buzzer itself was invented in 1831 by a man named Joseph Henry, and it was mostly used for doorbells. Makes sense. Okay. And then the 
piezoelectric uh, speaker or a buzzer. It was invented by Japanese manufacturers in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And what it's basically used for, it allows companies to be uh, competitively cooperative and bring about uh, several different innovations and and inventions along the way because it would it would be used in in the in the buildings themselves. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. Then you have the uh, mechanical, so that's like a joy buzzer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know the the, the old handshake hand buzzer. Hand buzzers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Ah, so so the way that a piezo electric uh, buzzer works, it's driven by an oscillating electronic circuit or another type of audio signal source. And what it does is the it, the sounds commonly used to indicate that a button has been pressed uh, by with a click, a ring, or a beep, and things like that. that yeah, it makes that's sense. The way that uh, that works. Yeah. So, uh, what type of uses do you think people uh, have for for buzzers in modern society? Um, doorbells. Uh, when you now, like the office I work at, we have little key fobs that let us in and out. Uh, it's a beeping noise. It it used to be a buzz, but then they. I don't know why they changed it, but now it's a beep to let us in and out of the building. Um, so I'm just going to say mostly doorbells and security locks. Okay, so it has you can they use them for novelty items. Okay, uh, judging panels. Oh yeah, why didn't I even? Okay, you didn't think of it. That's fine. Like, <laughs> educational purposes. You know, I guess uh, maybe like game maybe shows the idea, within the. No, maybe the idea is that it, that, you know, the end of a class. Oh, like an inter- okay, yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. what I would think. Yeah, that's what I would think there. Um, annunciator panels. Oh, shot clocks for basketball, right? Um, electronic uh, metronomes, game show lockout device. Okay, microwave ovens or other household appliances. I guess the little announcer. The Bing, you know, sporting events. You know, like in basketball yeah. where you have the buzzer beater. The buzzer. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, electrical alarms. And as we mentioned earlier, the, the joy buzzer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> there, there's, there's a lot of different uses for it. And apparently Hans isn't aware of any of those because of the look of shock on his face when <laughs> when John uses it. <laughs> you know, and then uh, at the same time as John is talking to him, you know, it, it's great how we see that he puts the phone down mm-hmm. and starts going through the the bag, you know, going through Heinrich's bag as he's doing it. And he pulls out a bunch of, uh, pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. from Heinrich's shirt pocket, which doesn't look like a very comfortable place for him to keep it. But, no. you know, this movie does that often. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he goes, hmm, these are very bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even he takes them himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to have them later. Yeah. For sure. And then Hans... Looks at him and says, uh, "Who are you then?" So he's 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 done playing games. Yeah. Hans. You know, before he was doing the guessing game, and this mm-hmm. point he's saying, "You know, I'm not going to guess anymore. Just who are you? <laughs> Tell me who you are." And John gives a great response. He goes, "Just a fly in the ointment, Hans. A monkey in a wrench. A pain in the ass." The the monkey and the wrench didn't make any sense to me because I'm just used to the old, just the idea like monkey wrench. Like, not... I've thrown a wrench into it. Okay. (laughs) I was... I'm not going to lie. I'm really glad. Because I'm genuinely curious. (laughs) Okay. So, there are a lot of different... First of all, we're going to go through all of them. Yeah. yeah. So, we got Fly in the Ointment. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, it's an idiomatic expression for a drawback, especially one that was not at first apparent. For example, we have cook stove beans and plates. The fly in the ointment was the lack of a can opener. Okay, the the phrase actually uh, comes from uh, the Bible. Really? Or the, the the terminology, the source of the phrase. Huh. It's in Ecclesiastics. And it says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Okay. All right. Was not expecting that. I thought yeah. it might have been a Shakespeare thing. <laughs> so for, for, for many centuries, a fly in the ointment was meant as a small defect that spoils something valuable mm-hmm. or is the source of annoyance. Okay, that fits here now. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. That's what it is. I'm the source of annoyance. Yeah. The modern version thus suggests that something unpleasant may come or has come to light in a proposition or condition that is almost too pleasing. That there is something wrong, hidden, unexpected somewhere. No, I think it still works. That uh, You know, the source of annoyance. Yeah. I think that's what, what yeah. John's referring to. Here. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, the monkey and the wrench is, as you said, very much connected to the idea of a monkey wrench. Yeah. To throw a monkey wrench into something. Right. Okay, so the the original image was it was of throwing a monkey wrench into the cylinder cylinder of a threshing machine, mm-hmm. which would which would cause things to to basically be be fouled up. Okay, it okay. is quite often used in political situations. That's the the reference. You know that that uh, you know it means to stop or obstruct by direct interference. Mm-hmm. So again, that's you know. On the one hand, he's saying, I'm an annoyance, but I'm also here to stop you yeah. by, by what you're doing. Okay? So the, the earliest use of the, the phrase monkey in a wrench was uh, in 1892 in the okay. San Francisco Chronicle. When really? uh, There was a debate in the House of Representatives. And the, the quote is, Bland's action in insisting upon amending the steward bill has been severely criticized. He is charged with occupying the position of the man who threw a monkey in the wrench in the threshing machine because he was not allowed to feed it. The trouble with Bland seems to be that if Stewart's bill, uh, that it is Stewart's bill and not his own. He wants all the fame, even if he jeopardizes the cause in which he proposes to lead. Okay. So, okay. you know, he's doing it just to foul things up, even though uh, he himself... Uh, agrees with, with the yeah. situation, <laughs> but that that happens quite often in politics. You know, there's there's there isn't really, uh, you know, uh, there, there, nothing has changed in the some people just in 125 right. years or 130 years since this uh, since that quote was was started. Mm. Okay, mm. and then we have uh, pain in the ass, mm. which uh, something or someone that causes discomfort or frustration. Again, you know. Fits in perfectly here, you know. But it's great how they use all three of these uh, phrases because each of them means something slightly different. Yeah, they're not exactly the same. He's not saying, "Okay, I'm this, I'm that, and the other thing," and they're all the same. Mm-hmm. There, you know, the fact that John knows the difference that that there is a difference between them says something also. Yeah, you know, it's just it's amazing to 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 listen to the way that he. Uh, yeah, there's like a weird, not a weird intelligence there, but. There's a wit that you wouldn't really expect. Yeah. Which, uh, obviously, it means that uh, somebody has done, uh, you know, their, their research here. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than more than us. You know, in order to, to make sure. A little bit they, of due diligence. The, the phrase is right there. Right? And then as he's, you know, as he's talking, he's taking stuff. He's looking at stuff in the, the bag, mm-hmm. in Heinrich's bag. And he pulls out... Uh, 
you know, all these detonators and C4 plastic explosives and stuff like that. Now, the question is, is, do you think he knows what it all is? Do you think he realizes right away that these are explosives and a detonator? I think in the... Uh, the it might bios, be written C4. Yeah, I think he gets the C4 part, but I think the little plastic tubes, I don't think he realizes that those are the detonators for it. Right. But outside of that, I think he that's when he realizes, like, whoa, like, well, this is serious now. Right, they look like lipstick cases. You know? They kind of do, don't they? A little plastic. <laughs> they really do. And yeah. then uh, if you look at the C4 close enough, the date for it is uh, February 14th. Uh, 1987. So in this case, if it's you know New Year's Eve or excuse me Christmas Eve '88, well, you think the, that's the, the 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 production date? Yeah, that's the production date. Production date. Okay. So the C4 is uh, ten months and ten days old. Cool. Which is weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Or again, we've talked about that maybe this is a completely alternate universe where the days are different and this is not 1988 and whatever. Because the thing that doesn't make sense is, is in 1988 Christmas Eve was a Saturday night. So huh. it doesn't make 100% sense that this should be taking place on Saturday night. Because why would they... First of all, why would they have their party on Christmas Eve? That's a question that we've asked so many times and we don't really have the answer. You know, most most people want to be home with their families on yeah. Christmas Eve. Especially of, on a Saturday. Right. Is, is, instead of being in the office for that. So you'd think that they would have the holiday party a few days before. But, you One know, thing. those Japanese test masters. <laughs> you know, but I, I guess uh, Takagi's not going to be doing that next year. <laughs> Probably not. Probably, I think he might be a little preoccupied uh, for just the rest of his life. Bit. Just a little bit. He won't yeah. be joining us for the rest yeah. of his life. I love that line. <laughs> so after he says that, he as he's looking at the the detonators and stuff like that, he says, "Whoa!" And then there's a little bit of static on the on on the CB. And at this point, Hans turns to to Carl and says, "Check on all the others." Don't use the radio. Mm-hmm. See if he's lying about Marco and find out if anyone else is missing. So, I mean, it, it's great that he, you know, mentions the fact that right away he knows that, okay, for some reason he knows the guy's name is Marco, mm-hmm. that, that, that he's waxed, you know, and they have to figure out where to find him. How, how are they actually going to figure out where to find him? Because, you know, they uh, Heinrich told... Uh, Marco to go down to the 34th floor. Mm-hmm. So they have to look for him on the 34th floor, but they ain't going to find him there. <laughs> no, because he's over he's, in a parking lot somewhere else. That's right. And and as you mentioned earlier this week, he fell off the car. Yeah. You know, he's not down, he's not even, you know, uh, next week, a little bit of a spoiler, it's going to say he's down on the street, but he's, you know, how would they know that? He's how, far away. Yeah. Uh, this Unless they're Looking out of windows, but if you look, they don't have any high power rifles with scopes. They're just kind of eyeballing stuff down right. there. Yeah, that line. Well, he doesn't say that he threw them out, so obviously they're just going to go, hey, look for. But like you said, they're not going to find him because right. he's not there. Correct. Uh, that's true. And, and they will find Heinrich there mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. go to the 34th floor to try and find him. All right, so then that's pretty much how this, this minute ends. As, uh, you know, then we, we see John looking back. As if he's startled about something. Yeah. They don't know exactly what. And we'll, people will have to wait until Monday to find out what it is that he's startled about. You know, what What has shocked John? What's happening? Hmm. <laughs> Who knows? And that's pretty much uh, the end of this minute. Do you have anything else you want to say about the minute? Yeah, what I really like about this minute is the four things when he's on, uh, going on Heinrich's body there. He gets the cigarettes, which, spoilers, he later shares with right. Hans. There's the gun, which, again, spoilers, he later 
you uses, know, right. uses. Uh, the uh, detonators, which they're chasing them around for. Right. Then obviously the C4, which it's going to get used later on for sure. So it, it's just one of those things, and we talked about it for the episode, just how many things come back around. Like it's it's a combination foreshadowing. It's a combination um, just consistency and making sure it stays with But there's just so many little teeny tiny things that pay off either in big ways or little ways. And that's something like I can really appreciate more about this film because of those things. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, when you were on The Great Escape, uh, you know, two seasons ago, you know, we had the whole thing where we found that the the trump uh, trumpet was it the trombone, trombone. in the still, yeah. Because the one guy's looking for it, and it's like, well, here it is. It's part of there the still go. now. And which, I, you know, watching it, you don't really pay attention to it until you're paying attention to it, and like then it, all the stuff That's makes right. sense. That's right. Cool. All right, so the the script only has one uh, has has a, a few little minor discrepancies in the dialogue. Okay, okay. Uh, John basically says, "Anyway, I thought you and Franco and Carl and the other boys <laughs> might be lonely now that I waxed Tony and Marco and their buddy, so I invited some of the guys for my card game." <laughs> okay, I, maybe he's referring to to Powell. I don't know. It's it's a strange comment. He can't be there because he's not talking to Powell yet. No, but he's maybe saying that I brought the cops. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe that's what he's referring to here. Okay, I can see that. And I'm not really sure. And at the point, and the only other discrepancy is is at the end of the minute when when Hans is talking to Carl. So John hears the static, mm-hmm. and it says uh, Hans goes back onto the CB. Meanwhile. McLean smiles at the telltale static as Hans goes off and on. He knows what's happening. Now he starts to walk down a corridor, eyes panning from elevator to the stairwell doors. Meaning that he knows, okay, they're they're planning to come for him at this point. Yeah. That and I got him a little bit shook because they don't he doesn't have anything smart to say. He's trying to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh that that that's uh, all we have here for the for this particular minute so on friday we have a segment called weekend surprise which uh you might know what it is or you might not know what it is if you've been listening to the show until now because it's the same surprise every week but basically there has been much debate over the last 34 years about die hard Mm -hmm. is die hard considered a christmas movie or not and uh show your work what do you think so i don't like the argument because in my mind it's not however Rewatching it in preparation for this show, there are little things about it that make it more and more of a Christmas film. Obviously, the setting, obviously, the decorations, obviously, everybody's humming tunes. The score in the film has a lot of thematic uh, Christmas carols that we know. And they use one over and over again. And of course, it's escaping my mind right now. Let it snow. Oh, wait, you're talking about uh, the Ode to Joy? That one. Okay, okay. Which I uh, I kind of see as more of like a, uh, a Christmas song than other ones for some reason. Uh, but there's just something like when it's like dour and there's, you know, we're looking at um, um, Gruber and his character. All of a sudden it's just a cello that comes in with it. But during other parts it's a little brighter. It's a little more pronounced in like a positive way. So it's just interesting to hear like the score pulls at that theme and keeps putting it into the movie. I can't remember it's it might it it's some Christmas song but the name of it is escaping me right now. 
but it's it's right there and it's just it's hitting you with a cello and it's yeah okay now do you know I I know that you're a Kubrick fan mm-hmm. so what other movie uses the the same type of it's the um, it's uh, Clockwork Orange yes because that's the one that Alex really likes and he loves it and then eventually it makes him sick yes isn't that great that there there's that connection between them it's it's little winks and nods. Like, it, you know, a lot of action films when they throw the Wilhelm scream in there. Yeah. Little stuff like that, which I like. Or Pixar, they well, all you have. think this is a wink and nod because of the fact... I mean, this is the main theme in this movie. I don't think it mm-hmm. is, but I think in other films it might be like a wink and nod kind of thing. Right. But there's just something about having that score in there that just... Right. So, I mean, it's called Ode to Joy, and it's also... The, the official term is the Symphony Number no. 9 in D. In D. Mm-hmm. Uh, choral... Uh, OP 125. Mm. I mean, that's Opera 125 yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, so they have that in Clockwork Orange also, mm-hmm. which is, is, you know, you and I were talking earlier about Kubrick. Yeah. You know, before before we were recording, and, you know, it, it's just very apropos. Very much it, so. That it fits in here. It just, that, that all these thing. coincidences, man. All these coincidences. It's, it's all... It's more than coincidence. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're not just random coincidences. It can't be. If it's too many, it can't be. Yeah, especially, you know, we, we, we randomly chose the week right before your birthday. Yeah. And your birthday falls out on a weekend, so it's not as if, you know, we could have recorded on your birthday. We're, cl- we're recording as close to your birthday without going over. Yeah. You know, it's like Price is Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. How much is it without going over? And, you know, because if, if it would have been next week, then Monday, it's already past your birthday. Yeah, so. and I'd be probably a little groggy and tired. Or all hyped from all the sugar I've been eating because of the cake. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible. We'll, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know. This way, you'll have the time and, you know, to to have all that, that sugar high if you yeah. really want to. <laughs> all right, well, Nick, you want to, for one last time, tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, one last time, uh, at the Rehack, T-H-E-R-E-H-A-K. I'm also over on Mixcloud.com with Rehack Radio, like I said. Uh, it's about an hour long. It's me. I'm bringing out some music. We're talking about the music, fun facts, stories behind it, talking about the bands. Uh, it's, it's a really good time. I enjoy doing it, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I, I hope everyone does, too. <laughs> <laughs> Be funny if they didn't. Like, why would you keep plugging this? It's not good. No, it's good, it's good, it's good. Go there, listen to it. And finding me is quite simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website. So, um, Nick, once again, I want to thank you for, for hosting me this week and for being my guest at the same time. Yeah, you know, and vice it's versa. Been, it's been fun. In, <laughs> exactly. It's been very fun uh, being here in Baltimore all week. Uh, you know, in, in two weeks, we'll, we'll have another uh, remote location uh, show. Awesome. We'll be in New Jersey. There you go. You know, but uh, staying be, coastal. Yeah, but uh, you know, next week we'll be back in Israel. So you know, it's uh, jumping around a little bit here and there. But uh, yeah, it's been fun having you. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you very much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, until Monday, yippee kaye, yippee kaye, happy birthday. Oh yeah, happy birthday to Nick too. <laughs> Forgot about that part. Yeah. Have a happy yippee kaye birthday. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. All right. See you all on Monday. Yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay.